The following podcast contains explicit language. One definition of explicit language is stated clearly and in detail, leaving no room for confusion or doubt. That's why we use those words. Hello and welcome to episode 307 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. I'm Nathan Fox. That's Ben Olson. Uh, together, we are the founders of the LSAT Demon. We also have another podcast called LSAT Demon Daily, so you guys should check that out. Uh, what did we talk about on today's episode of Thinking LSAT, Ben? Anything that stands out to you? Yeah, we talked about some uh, timing. How long does it take you to study for the LSAT? Someone wrote a pearls versus turds question for us on that we talked about resumes personal statements um and then we got yeah some, some very helpful tips from, tips from kara, kara who is a just finished her one l year and wanted to kind of pay it backward to the demon community thinking else at community with a, a bunch of various tips about uh, how to look forward to your one l year yep Last question we had was uh, yeah. a question about how to break out of a score plateau. And Ben and I kind of agree that that plateau probably doesn't even exist. It probably is just a small sample artifact. And it, it also is an example of a student who um, they've done so much work and they're already into the 170s. And still they have this insatiable desire to to do even better. <laughs> you know, they just only see their flaws. Which is a, uh, boy, that's a very lawyerly, um, very, very lawyerly characteristic to have, to, to be, you know, you worked your ass off, you're totally already getting paid for all that work you've done. And still all you can think about is the holes in your game and how to plug those holes. Um, so that's the last email that we get to in the mailbag. Um, this is, uh, let's see, it's episode 307. It's going to air on Monday, July 19th. That means that you've got a little less than a month until the August LSAT. If you're signed up for that, the deadline is already passed to register. Uh, the October LSAT registration deadline is about a month from now, August 25th. That is both the registration to uh, the deadline to register and the deadline to uh, request accommodations. This came up in class last night. People didn't realize that when you register for the test, uh, you also do have to request your accommodations by the registration deadline if you want those uh, super powerful LSAT accommodations. Yeah. Um, all right, before we get into the show, I just want to make sure everybody knows that they're invited to my August 2021 LSAT study group. Uh, meets every Thursday at 4 Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Zoom. Um, it's a weekly commitment to study a little bit every day and you can show up, talk to me, ask me any question, ask my TAs any question, meet other people who are studying for the LSAT and it's yeah. totally free. All you need is an LSAT demon account. So I hope to see you there. All right. Pearls versus turds time. This is uh, the segment of the show. We've been doing this for years now where we take a bit of received wisdom from the internet and we decide whether these are good tips or bad tips. So this is from our current demon student, Naya. She says, hi, Ben and Nathan. I found this article on LSAT prep time and wanted to get your thoughts. It's from PrincetonReview.com and it's called, how long should you study for the LSAT? 
And uh, that's a reasonable question that a lot of people ask. And so we're going to decide whether this article is a pearl or a turd. Okay. Um, all right. You got it up on up and on your screen? I do. First thing that I'm noticing is what the hell's going on with the fonts on this page? <laughs> They're all over the place. <laughs> Big, There's small, like... tiny. Two different paragraphs have... Uh... <laughs> Two different the fonts. The first two consecutive paragraphs have different fonts. It's so strange. And then we've got like bigger headlines and smaller headlines and italicized oh. headlines and bold and all kinds of weird stuff. But let's just assess it. It's got it's got four tips. Okay. I don't think we need to read necessarily all of this stuff. Oh, Ben, I only have three days to sign up for $300 off using the code SUNSHINE300. <laughs> I can promise you that uh, after those three days are up, uh, another deal will come around for you. God damn it. These guys. I mean, they they are real good at selling. Boy, notice they also are trying to sell you a Discover card student loan. What? And they're trying to sell you the GRE. What? Broaden your law school applicant pool when you accept the GRE general test. So that's a that's actually an advertisement from ETS focused on law school admissions folks to start accepting that's an ad for accept the GRE for your law school. So they think I'm a law school. Do you see that same ad? I see a different ad, but I do see that I see Liberty University is Advertising something to enhance your career potential with a graduate degree. Okay. And then I see a Discover card application. I'm this, not confident this company is doing so well. Uh, if you're going to try to get selling weird ads dimes, on their blog. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. It makes me happy that we've never spent money or we did like individually, right? At the very beginning of our businesses, we tried to spend money on like pay-per-click or pay-per-view yeah, ads. Yeah, got burned and we're like, fuck this. They're such trash. And look how just cheesy and gross these are. Ugh. Yeah. Discover student loans. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Hey, Ben, at the bottom of the page, it says LSAT 165 plus score guaranteed asterisk. Asterisk. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Then it also says, make sure your LSAT score is competitive enough to get you into a top 25 law school exclamation point. Should I learn more? Should I click and learn more? Oh my God. We guarantee the score necessary for admission into a top 25 law school. 84 hours of instruction by an LSAT expert. Oh, holy shit. Are you fucking kidding me? The asterisk is 158 or higher starting score required to be eligible for the guarantee of a 165 plus score. Uh, you know how you expensive this is going to be? Wait, wait, wait. You have to start with a 158? Is yeah. That what they're saying? Oh, so here is their just, this is unbelievable. Okay, and they do the same thing for the GMAT, for the DAT. What is the DAT? D-A-T. I've never heard of that one. Um, oh, the CFA. They, do, they have like every possible exam. And yeah, so they're guaranteeing you. A seven point increase. <laughs> we compare the score you received on the official test after you completed your program with us for the same test to your baseline starting score on the same test. Why did you say that twice? Which can be either your official LSAT test score that you received before the start of your LSAT test program with us, or the score you received on the first practice test in your LSAT test program with us. 
uh, has to be chosen by them, official time limits, blah, blah, blah. Oh, you can use accommodations. Um, but then, yeah, so they're guaranteeing you a seven point increase. It says, oh, you can, you can also sign up for this if you have under a 158 and they're guaranteeing you a seven point increase. If you get a 158 or higher, that's when they get the, you know, it's the same seven point increase. They're going to guarantee you. Oh, and so if you sign up with a 161, they're only going to guarantee you a 165. I also, God, I just, I want to know how much their class costs. It's got, well, it's got it's to gotta be, be something. Ridiculous. They're giving you $300 off if you use this sunshine 300 code choose my option oh most popular is uh lsat 165 plus yeah that starts at um oh including the 300 off it's so it's the the, the rack rate is 19.99 ben that's what they're asking they're asking 999 dollars yes two grand but you could guarantee yourself a 165 <laughs> as long if as you, you have already have a 158 which is a fucking high <laughs> diagnostic score. <laughs> All right, whatever. Prison Review, I don't want to hate. They are a um, very big marketing company, um, and they're good at selling shit. I mean, that's shit you don't need. If you're a 158 or higher, and you came to us with you no prep, 158 or higher, you would have a 165 in like a month or two. Yeah. <laughs> For a few hundred bucks, not two well, hundred. Also, listen, listen to the way they talk about it. Make sure your LSAT score is competitive enough, competitive enough to get you into a top twenty-five <laughs> right. law school. These days, yeah. like as you just sent out in your, you know, lesson or newsletter or whatever, um, we don't want you getting into school. We want you going for free. Yeah, we want you going for free or not at all. I hope people will sign up for that newsletter. Um, I wish I had an easy way of referring. I forgot how it is. How, I, I guess I have it. We need to figure out a more efficient link for this. Um, what is it? It's it? com slash demon. And there is a link there to sign up for well, we um, the newsletter. Too. Yeah. We need it on the, de- well, we're working on a blog, right? That's, yep. that's going to happen. We're going to post all these, my weekly lessons. We're going to post them um, publicly so people can share them, et cetera. Yeah. Um, little peek behind the curtain at our own terrible marketing strategies. <laughs> but uh, Anyway, um, just, you know, yeah. Everybody at every level, basically. I mean, you you can you can go for free. Like you you don't even necess- you don't have to have good grades. You you do have to have a solid enough LSAT score. But if you're gonna barely like if you're gonna squeak, yeah, you you don't want you don't want to get your 165 and then pay full price at UCLA. That's not a good move. You would be much better off getting that 165 and then taking a full ride to Irvine or you know maybe USC or some like you could just go for free. You could save yourself a quarter of a million dollars, and it's just so much smarter to take that scholarship. But anyway, yeah. Um, okay, how long should you spend studying for the LSAT? Uh, there are four tips here. Okay. Tip one, understand that the LSAT is different from other exams and requires more preparation. Okay. It's different from other exams. I would grant them that. It's not, a, it's for sure not a test of knowledge. It's not like you can cram a bunch of information and then regurgitate it on the test and then forget about it. Sure. Yeah. It's like about how you think, right? Yep. So it is a test that requires practice. 
the sub tips here in italics are the LSAT tests skills, not content. I agree with that. It sure. requires you to retrain your brain. I'm not sure I agree with that. I feel like it's common sense. I feel like a lot, there's a lot of smart people who can score 165 on their first practice test. Yeah. And they, they didn't have any brain training that allowed them to think that way. They just were careful and read the question and picked the right answer. I don't, I don't know that it requires you to retrain your brain. It isn't conducive Maybe to cramming. Maybe it requires yeah. you to be less sloppy, right? Like people who studied econ yeah, be and, careful. Stuff and math yeah. tend to do well on the test, probably because they've been like taught to not be sloppy with their logic. Yeah. Their point here is, you know, leave yourself at least three months and ideally more for LSAT prep. I don't know. I mean, I guess most people probably take three months to really reach their highest score. I think it's a good plan. I wouldn't go into it planning to be done in a month. Yeah, it is sometimes possible, though. I mean, it's certainly possible, but yeah, it's not a good plan. We see people knock it out of the park. Like I would say, you know, hey, if you start with a 160, definitely don't sign up for a huge LSAT program because you can you might go from 160 to 173 in a month. And you, you know, like you might just spend a few hundred dollars on prep instead of spending thousands of dollars on prep. And I, I wouldn't yeah. Um anyway. They're selling a big $2,000 course. So of course they're going to tell you that it's at least three mm -hmm. months for everybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, they haven't said anything there. That's objectively wrong. Most people probably need something like that. Tip two. I've never thought about this before. Aim for 250 to 300 hours of LSAT preparation. 250 to 300 hours. So that's a hundred hours a month if you do three months. So that's 20 <laughs> hours a week. That's kind of a lot. Yeah. So they say it there approximately 20 hours per week. Hmm. That's too much. I don't think people need to spend 20 hours a week. Yeah. I would say closer to 10 half that. Yeah. One to two solid hours a day, 20 hours a week. That's three hours a day, seven days a week. That's seven uh, days a week. No breaks. <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of crazy. I, I think we can simplify that. I mean, I, I think we can be more efficient with the drilling in the demon. Maybe, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to make it just a commercial for the LSAT demon, but I, <laughs> I don't think it takes 20 hours a week. I think it, I think you can do it in more like 10. Um, tip number three, allocate time for in-depth analysis review carefully is that what they're trying to say i don't know students who realize their lsat goals do so because they learn systematically from their own mistakes and devise strategies for avoiding such errors in the future um it goes on and it gives some good points like for every practice exam you take oh and it says for every three hour practice exam you take which the practice exams aren't three hours anymore um and you should plan to take several. Plan to spend around four or five hours reviewing your responses and identifying patterns in the errors you make. You know what? Now this is a turd for me. Identifying patterns is not but, what, I don't think that's good. 
No, it's going to invite people to add up the number of flaw questions that they got wrong, realize that they got more flaw questions wrong than anything else, and say, oh, my issue is flaw questions. And it's like, well, by the way, flaw questions appear more frequently on the test. So the fact that you got more wrong <laughs> is probably <laughs> just a, a point. result of the fact that you had more of those. But um, then they, they think that's like, even even if it's true, right? Like even if you find some sort of pattern, what does that mean? Oh. You're, you're not good at flaw questions, okay. What you need to do is get good at any question you encounter. <laughs> I want everybody to stop labeling everything. I, I, want, I want them to, which by the way, that's like kind of a mindfulness tip. Stop, stop categorizing and labeling everything. Instead, there's a question that you missed. Why did you miss it? Like, why is the right answer this other one that you didn't pick? And why didn't you pick that? And why is this answer that you did pick wrong? Yeah. And can we sort that out? Like, can we get to a point of real understanding? Because this category is the categorization and the labeling of everything is just like, it's an excuse for not actually figuring it out. It's an excuse for not actually understanding it. Yeah. I, I, I don't believe people when they come to me like, well, I really am bad at weekend questions or whatever. I'm like, no, you're not. Let's what you're bad at is reviewing your mistakes. You're, you're just not taking enough time to actually dig in. You have to confront your mistake on a more like serious level. You have to decide that you can understand this shit. And all this like, well, I'm bad at grouping games and I'm bad at weekend games and I'm bad at like, boy, those the liberal arts passages on the reading comp or whatever. It's like, huh? No, you're not. You, you're, you're probably making that assessment on a small sample anyway. Mm -hmm. And it's not useful. It's just not, it's not helpful. You're not, you're not moving the ball forward at all by categorizing and, you know, doing all this analysis. Yeah. Instead, just review, like just actually dig in on one question at a time. All right, tip four, do not take the test until you're ready. If you're not routinely scoring within three or four points of your goal on practice exams, don't sit for the real thing. Blah, blah, blah. That's pretty solid, yeah? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Um, cool. It's a, <laughs> They threw in a lot of extra stuff, but the whole article was how long should you spend studying for the LSAT? I mean, it seems like what they're deciding is at least three months and at least 300 hours. I, I, I can't give that a pearl because some people get it done a lot sooner than that. Some people also it takes a lot longer than that. I'm also not sure what, what the value in that is. If you said to someone who started studying for the LSAT, all right, get ready for 250 to 300 hours. Like it just, it, it almost sounds like overwhelmingly long and you can make a lot of pro what most matters most is that today you sit down, you do something and you move the ball forward and then you start to see your time yeah. section scores improve and great. Now you keep going. Yeah. The problem with people. So yeah, I guess like I, I kind of want to just make it a turd overall. It's human nature that people call us all the time and they ask us, how long should I plan to prep? But they're kind of not understanding the whole broader game because 
you probably need to take the official test multiple times, which that drives how long you're going to prepare. You know, if the question is how long until I'm ready for my first test, then actually it could be a month, right? It's like, I mean, the answer is it depends. Where are you scoring now? How far are you away from your goal? Because if you're like right now, oh yeah, I scored 164 on a cold diagnostic. I would probably be like, okay, sign up, like sign up for the next test because we can, we can get you from 164 into the 170s fast in some cases. Yeah. And why not start taking the official test? If you, you know, like you might get, you might get there in time and there's so much value on taking the test multiple times to, to get your best, you know, official score on record. So this idea of like, oh no, 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 everybody, you know, at least three months, universal advice, at least three months. I think that's a turd. Yeah. I think what people want to do is they want to, they're looking at when the tests are scheduled and that's saying, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, Oh, it's October. Okay. Well, how, can I make it? Can I do it by then? And it's like, I don't know. It, there's so many variables too. Not only where do you start, how quickly do you learn, but also what schools would you be happy to go to and still go for free? Yeah. And People people, change their mind halfway through prep, right? Like we get emails from people all the time. We'll probably talk about some of them later in the show today. We get emails from people who are like, well, I started with a 134 and my first goal was I just really wanted to get a 150. But since listening to you guys and studying in the demon, now I'm scoring 157 and I am greedy for more. Yeah. Once you you realize the value that you can squeeze out of the LSAT, you start realizing your time is worth a lot more <laughs> spent on the test. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you have to apply later, it's like, well, yeah, now it's your, you have a downhill battle, right? As opposed to an uphill battle. Yeah. If you're asking what's the average. Yeah. I'm happy to say, well, the average is like three months, but the average salary for lawyers is a hundred grand and nobody makes a hundred grand. Like some people make 60. <laughs> Most people make 60 right out of law school and a few people make 180 right out of law school. And so the average is meaningless. I think the average amount of time for LSAT prep is also meaningless. And you know, like you probably should be thinking about, you should probably actually be thinking about more than three months in the long haul. By the time you've taken the official test two or three or five times, since law schools only care about your highest score, you know, you, you might need longer, but how long to get ready for your first official test? Yeah. On average, doesn't it's stupid. Like take a practice test and let's see where you're at. And then I'll be able to give you a little more information. All right. Anyway, the scoreboard for pearls versus turds is now a sad 15 pearls, 51 turds, 23 ties. Yeah. I would also say if people are trying to plan their law school application stuff, just, Start studying for the LSAT as soon as you decide to go to law school. Just start studying. Yeah, and even if you're a freshman or sophomore in college, I, it's not too soon, I don't think, to to start chipping away at it. You know, it's it's these guys want you to study 20 hours a week. I would rather that you study like one hour a day just for as long as it takes. It's, it's a much more civilized way to get where you're going if you can kind of lengthen the, the time frame a little bit. Yeah. To be clear, we do want you to do that hour because we don't want you doing 
only 15 minutes forever and then not making progress enough to like motivate you. But you can have 15 minute days. You just want to make sure you're putting in right. Maybe six to 12 hours a week, somewhere in there. So you really, ideally you're going to find that high quality hour every day. Yeah. I know. Or six days a week. Yep. And just make that your routine, build it in to your schedule. I think is the best way, but okay. Ready to dive into the mailbag? Let's do it. We got two emails about resumes and personal statements. Why don't you read this first one? Hi guys. I just recently started listening to your show and I'm using the LSAT demon. I just started, so I haven't seen results yet, but from what I've seen, I know I will. I'm having a hard time picking a topic for my personal statement. I'm not sure that I really care about your personal statement at this point in time, but I'm not sure which one is the A plus story, as you say. So I've picked the best ones and listed them here. It would be a huge weight off my shoulders if I could get some advice on which story to pick from or just hear which one or what you think of each one. Okay. Number one, growing up on the Mexican Texan border, a story about border town woes, border town woes. Sounds sad. Sounds like yeah. a story about you as a child. Uh, I want to hear about you as a winner and an adult. So, you know, that's part of your background. And it. I think it absolutely is appropriate for a diversity statement. But for your personal statement, I'm not admitting a four-year-old in Texas. I'm admitting an adult person with a college degree and some work experience today. So I don't, I don't feel like border town woes is the appropriate topic. It's just not putting your best foot forward. It's like no, you I mean, whining about stuff. Even if you plan on talking about like challenge overcome, like, how, like Nathan like is saying, how old were you? And you chose the word woes. So it sounds like you're going to focus on challenges, not success. Right. If you're going to bring up a challenge, you better show me, you know, it's here's the hurdle. I, I want to see you jumping over the hurdle. 5% I don't want to see challenge, the hurdle. 95%. Okay. What I did about it and how I kicked ass. <laughs> yeah. Great. Two, how I got an LLM without any legal training. What? You, you, you did it. I, <laughs> I'm not excited about this. The LLM is on your resume. How you got the LLM I don't, I don't know. I don't care. Like if you actually practiced law in a foreign country, I would, I guess I would like to hear about legal practice, but just the fact that you went and got this certification, I mean, it's on your resume, it's on your transcripts. You've already ticked that box. So I don't know that that's a good personal statement topic. Okay. Three working within the bureaucratic bullshit of the immigration system. Mm. This sounds like a personal legal challenge. Yep. And those don't usually work out so well. Nope. Haven't ever seen one. It it, it always w- comes off as naive and or yeah. whiny, you yeah. know, it's just like, and I, I'm not like, I feel for you and your family and whatever you went through, but I don't want to hear you complaining about bureaucracy. That's what are you going to do about it? What did you do about it? We all know that our government is so fucked up in a million different ways. That is not news to anybody. In fact, your reader knows just as much or more about it than you do. 
as you do. Um, now they haven't gone through it personally, but trust me, they have clinics where they send people to the border to work on these issues. They know all about it and they've heard everybody crying about it in every shitty personal statement. So like your personal experiences in the legal system, I, it's just never, ever good. No. And it, it often comes across as, Oh, I had this horrible experience and now I want to go to law school and like fix it. And then it's like, you're going to go fix it. it. (laughs) Maddie, thank you for writing in tip. Number one, which Ben started to say earlier is you're, you shouldn't be thinking about your personal statement right now. You need to get the very best LSAT you can possibly get. And that should be your priority. Yeah. There's no, there's just no point. You just started with the demon. You've got potentially six months or a year before you need to worry about your personal statement. Um, like, I don't think you're applying to law school this cycle. If you just started with us, it's July right now. You're not going to law school in 2021 or yeah. sorry. You're not going to law. You're not applying to law school in 2021. You're applying. Yeah. If you follow our advice, you're applying to law school in 2022 and you're going to start in 2023, which means you have a whole year before you need to worry about your personal statement. You need to worry about your LSAT Two, As far as picking an actual topic, I would like to hear a grown up story from your current job or your job six months from now. You know, look for a victory, look for a place where you solved a problem successfully, or just tell me about you, your day to day. Tell me about what you do in the office. That's totally fine. Like present yourself though, as an adult professional person, not a kid on the border, not somebody with family problems in the immigration system. Don't really care very much about your LLM and your, you know, three years ago, previous legal education. I want to know who you are today. Um, and so I would tell a, I would tell a grown up story from work sometime in the next year. Here's this other one also about resumes, personal statements. Uh, hello, but Nathan and Ben, after only receiving less than desirable admissions offers this past year, I have decided to retake in August and reapply this, this upcoming cycle. Sounds good so far. Love it when people do that. I am concerned about my employment gap over the past year due to the pandemic. I was laid off in April of last year and have been unemployed ever since. Whoa. A year and three months of unemployed? To make a long story short, my old job that I'd hoped to return to no longer exists and my industry is only now just beginning to recover. I'm now four years out of school and I have nothing to show professionally for this past year. My resume has lost momentum and I will be two years out from the project that I plan to center my personal statement around. Is my concern about how all this will look to an admissions committee warranted? I'm wary about some advice I've found online about providing an addendum to address a gap in post-undergraduate work history. According to a couple Reddit posts, some schools such as Berkeley and BU have previously required an addendum if you have a gap of over a certain number of months. I don't recall coming across this last year, but I plan to cast a wider net with my applications this year. Have either of you heard of this and would you suggest an addendum in this situation, even if it's not required? Thank you, Michael. Any thoughts? Well, my first reaction is, okay, um, can you get a job now? Like, it's easier to totally get rid of 
like past mistakes if the problem has already been resolved. But if you still don't have a job in September when you're applying, it's like, okay, well now it's been a year and five months. What's going on? Yeah. I mean, this whole like pandemic, I got laid off. That only carries you so far. It, it, and it, I think you could, you could sweep this under the rug. I think you could get away with a pandemic card this time. Well, cause everybody's going to have a weird year. Like that's yeah. not going to be rare. You're this, especially this year's applications. It's like half the people are going to have these changes on their resume. Yeah. And if you are required to write an addendum, you could keep it to one sentence. I lost my job during the pandemic, but now I work in this industry that doesn't exist anymore because of the pandemic. Yeah. But now I have this other job. Yeah. The fact I like that. If you don't get a job though, the question is, well, why not now? At some point you had to have taken your head out of the sand and said, okay, my industry is not coming back. What am I going to do about it? And if you just perpetually not get a job, it's not going to be good. Yeah. I got two friends here in town. Um, uh, South Lake Tahoe is a very small town. And um, so everybody knows everybody, but I got, I got a couple of buddies, one of whom is a laid off bartender who is like still on unemployment 18 months later. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not quite 18 months, but it's, coming up on a year and a half later and he's still just collecting this like pittance of unemployment. And it's just so like sad. It's like, what are you doing? Why don't you go do anything else? I got this other buddy who has four jobs Hmm. and it's like, he's, you know, he, but they're very similarly situated. And one of them is like, well, I I got this part-time job doing, I'm a starter at the golf course and I got this other part-time job helping out at events and I've got this other gardening business landscaping and I've got this other thing doing this other thing. And it's like, man, you just compare those two people. One of them looks like a winner, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, even though they're doing like very mundane jobs, they just, it's like, Oh, okay. So you adapted you, you're doing shit. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I, I, Law schools want winners. And so, yeah, I think it is time for Michael to show, like, I think you need a pivot here. I think you need to do, I think you need to get a job. That's your solution, not your addendum. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's like just, it's, yeah, it's time to get a job. I don't believe people that say they can't, like they're, they can't get a job. I don't, I, I just don't, I don't think that's true. I, yeah, you might have to do something different. But I I just can't believe that there that it's like impossible to get a job. Yeah, uh, maybe I'm too privileged and don't know what I'm talking about. But there's lots of work out there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like there's just people want people to do work, and you could work for a while. I don't know. You know, eventually, yeah, you'll end up in law school and this white collar life of it's a different kind of work. But for now, there's a million different mundane working kinds of jobs that you could have. I I could see a super powerful personal statement where you talk about this professional job that you used to have, then getting laid off 
and now you're helping out in a construction business. That'd be awesome. Uh, can you imagine like a, a an admissions officer reading that would be like, okay, so not afraid to roll up his sleeves, going to do what it takes, going to adapt, not going to whine about it. Could be great, right? Yeah. Whatever addendum you write, keep it short. And I think, yeah, <laughs> having facts instead of a whiny complaint about the pandemic, I think would be a much better move. Yep. Tips from a rising 2L. You want to read this one? Nathan, I decided to reach out since you said you don't get enough emails, which surprises me. Y'all ripped apart my personal statement about two years ago. Don't worry. It was after I submitted all my apps, so I couldn't change it but I still got good offers. Don't worry. I would hope that you could use your our advice to your benefit. I started using the Demon back when it was first released, and it was game-changing. I was answering questions anytime I had a down moment. Nothing can beat that for preparation. I'm glad to see you've only been improving it since then. I've come up with a few tips for what they're worth from a perspective of a rising 2L. Tip 1. First and foremost, know what a lawyer does. So many people don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was my experience in law school. I didn't know what a lawyer did. And like half the people that I went to law school with had no clue what lawyers actually did. Yeah. And those people were much less successful in law school. The people who knew lawyers and knew what they were getting themselves into were much more successful. Um, I would like this tip more if she gave us some advice as to how to know what a lawyer does. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think jobs and internships are probably the best way. Yeah. To get Don't get that job or internship because it's going to look good on your applications. Do it for yourself. Do it because you're going to know what the hell you're getting yourself into. And you're going to be like, you know, a non-zero percentage of you are going to then decide not to go into law. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what, that's where I could have saved myself three years and, you know, $150,000. I'm pretty sure if I would have ever worked in a law office, I would have been like, fuck that. Yeah. You know? And, um, what were you thinking? stupid things like, well, I mean, I basically was thinking I have a high LSAT score. It's easy for me to go into grad school. I don't know what else I'm doing with my life. I might as well just try this out, which, you know, there, there's some merit to that, but I should have dropped out as soon as I hated it. Um, I guess I, you know, I, I was one of these idiots who was like, well, I think I'm going to do IP law. And it's like, huh, do you have a scientific degree yeah or are you gonna go to stanford and kick ass there and then get a job in ip law because one does not just <laughs> go to mediocre law school with a business undergrad and just like magically become an ip lawyer yeah also becoming an ip lawyer requires you to become a lawyer and that sucks which I didn't know. I mean, that sucks for me. I was just speaking for myself. That would be miserable. I would hate to be a lawyer. <laughs> and so, but I had no idea. I was just like, oh, grad school. Education's always good. Green light, you know, just yeah. dumb. Number two, 
I didn't realize how much my eight years of pre-law lost pre-law school experience would give me in job interviews. Some K kindergarten to JDs can get straight A's and be the top of the class, but they've never seen a boss or they've never sent a boss an email or collaborated with coworkers. It's a step above others I'll never regret having. If you're in college, go to work before anything else. That seems like a super good tip. I mean, there's, yeah, I, I don't, we have had this conversation so many times, right? Like we get emails from freshmen in college who are like, I'm a hundred percent sure that I want to be a lawyer. Yeah. And I, I have two responses to that on the one hand, if I take you at your word, then okay, I can help you do that. Yeah. But on the other hand, how could you possibly know that when you're 19? Yeah. And are you sure you don't want to try anything else before you jump onto this in endless hamster wheel of yeah. law school and legal practice? And um, yeah, Kara is saying, Hey, I actually like it, it made me a better law student and a better lawyer to have had this previous experience before going straight into it. Mm-hmm. which is a good reason to do it. But again, I think it's another real good reason to do it is that if you go get a job and you're successful and you love it, then you very likely won't ever decide to go to law school. And that would be just an enormous win. If you, yeah. if you decide to do anything else, if, cause you're good at it and you love it and you're getting paid well for it, then that is such a huge win to just decide not to go down this path. Yeah. Okay. Number three, Think of writing your personal statement as just the beginning of your preparation for job interviews. You're doing the same thing, just in a different way, showing who you are, what you want to do, and why you're a good fit. It's, help, it's a helpful perspective for those applying to law school who will soon have to consider how to then promote themselves once actually in school. OCI, which means on-campus interviews, comes right up in the spring. Of 1L. That's fucking crazy, man. It is crazy. Yeah, I do remember that, though. I remember it in the first semester of 1L. Mm. People being in class next to me in suits. Yeah. Because they it wasn't OCI, but they were going for an interview. Yeah. And, like, sending out... like they, I, they, I was just trying to keep up with my 1L classes, and these people were, like, sending out resumes and cover letters and all types. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. And these people are really prepared... You know, if this makes me think, actually, we've kind of talked before about doing a demon law school prep program. Yeah. But I think what we would really want to do is like a demon OCI prep program. Mm. Like a, hey, well, you're only going to law school so that you could get a job. Yeah. I mean, I guess we can give you some tips about how to do better grade wise. Yeah. But we're not going to be spending a hell of a lot of time on that. I think it'd be much more, it'd be like, okay, well, let's talk about fields of legal practice and jobs that you might be able to get. And here's what that is going to entail. And yeah, you might need to show up on September 1st of your first semester of law school already planning to send out resumes that day. Yeah. You know, like that would be a good preparation for this whole thing you're going to get yourself into. And I, I, on a whole separate track 
I do like her tip of think about your personal statement as the beginning of a job interview. Hmm. Cause like you don't go into a job interview whining about the situation on the border or complaining about the government bureaucracy. Yeah. Right. You go into a job interview selling yourself as, Hey, I'm going to kick ass for you. And, and that, I think that's kind of, that's another way of getting at our whole point about personal statements. Right. Which is like, you need to show yourself as a winner. Like, are you going to show this to a prospective employer? That's a good, that is a real good personal statement tip. Would you give this document to somebody that you're, that you're hoping to work for? Yeah. This is <laughs> if not, it's probably not statement. the right personal statement. I think they almost feel like the admissions um, officers are on their side. You know, because like, they've oh. been coddled a lot in undergrad. That's a super old man thing to say. Oh my God. Ugh. But it's true. <laughs> it's true nonetheless. Like they've there's so much like touchy feely, you know, but they they gotta realize that like jobs are serious and jobs are the reason to go to law school and we're gonna be focused on jobs immediately in their one L year of law school. Yeah. And that's what the that's what the admissions folks are interested in too. I mean, they're interested in your money, but they're interested in people who are going to kick ass in the legal. They want successful lawyers. Yeah, you you can't confuse how they talk to you and how they try to sell the school to you with what they're actually thinking in terms of what they want. Right? They're like, oh, that person was so nice. They can understand. Look at this problem that I faced they'll understand and then they'll like sympathize with me and then accept me. No. Well, they might, and they might soak our totally broken student loan system using you as a intermediary, but they're not, they're not thinking like, Oh wow, this person's going to kick ass as a lawyer. Well, let's give them a scholarship. Number four, none of the small, none of the small bullshit matters just in general. Don't stress so much and save all that for when you really need it as a 1L. Your grades that year determine your future to a certain extent, as fucked up as that is. I'm not sure what she's referring Small to. Small bullshit she's worried. You know, things like, um, well, as far as the law school applications are concerned, you know, letters of recommendation the writing sample on the LSAT. Um, yeah, like I think what she's saying is focus on, <laughs> focus on your grades as a one L like, Oh, um, small bullshit, like extracurriculars. Hmm. Think about like one L extracurriculars or like, did you go to this meeting or that meeting or whatever? Sure. And what Kara is saying is like, no, get straight A's because that's, what's going to get you the OCI interviews and those at OCI, they're there to hire. Yeah. You know? And like, so none of that other small bullshit, like, Oh, you made an ass of yourself in class. Who cares? Did you get an A on the exam? That's all that matters. Yeah. I think that's what she's saying. Number five, don't act like, you know, everything in your applications or later in your job interview. Employers know you don't know shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's just a, a general good life tip. Like, there's a lot of power in admitting what you don't know because it makes it much more likely that you will learn it quickly, right? You're like, mm. oh, I don't, 
actually don't know a whole lot about that. Oh, yeah, well, this is what that means. Oh, really? Okay. Well, great. That sounds interesting to me. Now, all of a sudden, you're talking to that person eye to eye and not faking it. <laughs> yep. And I would uh, encourage people to do that same thing on their personal statement. You know, you are by, you are for sure supposed to be putting your best foot forward, but you need to stick to the facts and not try to oversell it. Cause the second you pretend like, you know, things that you don't know, um, it's probably like 25% of the personal statements that we see where people pretend like they're already lawyers. And that type of shit is just so transparent and immediately like people won't believe anything else you say this, you oversell a tiny little bit and then nobody believes anything else you say. But Nathan, there are legally binding contracts. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly (laughs) the time I negotiate legally binding. No, you don't. I mean, like, I believe you that you negotiate, but you don't throw in the legally binding bit of that because even only then, a like, lawyer what kind of negotiation is going on here. It's probably like, wait, you want to pay 900? You want to pay 1200? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, just tell me the specifics instead of telling me the conclusion. Right. That's yeah. that's one real good trick for not overselling is that just you stick to the actual facts. What else we got? Number six, no one really knows what they're doing till they do it. That's why you and Ben know so many people shouldn't go to law school because you actually went and know what it's like. And not only that, but Ben practiced law and did legal writing consulting. But yeah, both of us uh, having done it. And you know, that's boy, I've done that on a million different things. That's a real good tip for life is to like try stuff and find out what it's really like. And then you'll, then you'll determine whether it's a good fit for you. That's why it's such a good idea not to pay for a law school because you can try it out for free if you take a scholarship, but if you pay, you're like committing to this whole future that you don't really know that much about. Yeah. This, this makes me think of an article I just read. My dad sent it to me and I only just read an article about it. So I'm not like really don't pretend like you know more than you actually know yeah this is as much as i know okay um but and i haven't really even implemented this idea but here's the idea and your discussion made me think of it okay uh jeff bezos i think said there are two often two types of decisions one is a one-way door decision and Mm. one is a two-way door decision so you've heard this before no, but I can certainly see how if you go to law school and pay full price, that's like sort of a one way door. Like yeah, you're just, you're, you're locking yourself in. You're locking yourself in. Yeah. And then a two way door decision is you decide that, but you can turn around and come back out. And he said that most people turn two day, two door decisions into one door decisions in their head and then, you know, ruminate a over that decision for hmm. a long time. Like, oh, what am I going to do? Should I do this? Should I do that? Instead, you could quickly make the two-door decision because the two-way door decision because you can always walk back out. You can always walk back out. So move quicker on things that don't require a huge investment of time, money, energy, whatever. It's not that big a deal because you could always reverse it. Yep. So don't perseverate for a million years on making that decision. But you probably do want to think twice or 10 times about those one way decisions. Yeah. But if you go going into a quarter of a million dollars of debt is certainly a one way decision. Yeah. Whereas going for free, 
you can walk away especially if you're getting yep. paid to go um yep okay cool so act fast especially with two way door decisions so you can learn quickly that yeah i don't like this i'm out of here that's like take a practice test see where you're at yep study for a month see how much progress you make yep people are like determining their whole three-year study plan they're 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 pretending as if it's a one-way door yeah but instead you should just start and just do a little bit today and a little bit tomorrow and then we can reassess yeah okay okay i'm at school with a great scholarship and i'm surrounded by smart people I had to work hella hard to get good grades. Surrounding yourself with smart people is great, but harder to get up in the rankings. So that's something to consider. Now, what she's saying there is that even though she's on a scholarship, she still has to bust her ass to get good grades. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how why they did better than you, but they did. And honestly, it's kind of like a predator-prey relationship. You got predators in your law school who are kicking ass and they are going to take the cake. And then you have those who are paying to be there and are not. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what school Kara is at or I haven't, I, I do know, but, um, you know, Kara is, <laughs> she's, she's at a law school on a scholarship and she is still just busting her ass and yeah, she's getting the good grades. I mean, the people at that same school are paying for Kara's tuition while Kara smokes them in the academic competition and she's busting her ass to do that. She's not expecting that she's going to get it. She's busting her ass and getting it. Yeah. That's the type of competition that you're going to face at every law school. Yep. Number eight, seek out advice from as many current law students and lawyers as you can. That's what I did naturally because I'm very curious and always want to know all the details of what I'm getting into. After all, that's what being a good lawyer is about. Yeah. There's a lot of value that can come from, um, even just short conversations. You're like, wait, what? I had never thought about that. You know, we were visiting you in uh, Tahoe and just even being there, sometimes it's like, oh, here's an idea. Like you didn't even say anything. It's just like, hmm, maybe I'll do this differently for my class setup or whatever, you know? Like there's a lot of value that comes from interacting with other people. It's new information. Yeah. Um, get that Rachel Gezrese book. Um, what was that called again? Uh, the law the playbook? career playbook. Yeah. Law career playbook, uh, has a bunch of scripts for cold calls and cold emails and stuff. But yeah, you know, you don't have to get that job or internship. Even if you do get that job or internship in law, you could also be just introducing yourself around town. I mean, go do some investigation and meet some folks and, um, learn as much as you possibly can about this before you get yourself into it. Cause yeah, your first semester of your one L year, you're going to be like already deciding what kind of a career you're going to go into, Yeah, which is wild. So it's better to make many of those decisions before you even start. Number nine, tell Carman Jake that his character and fitness should not have any narrative. Make it a list of facts, one sentence each and that it, and that's it on date X I was charged for Y. So a little background here. Carmen Jake had character and fitness issue with what again? I forgot. I do not remember. DUI, something like that. That's I the most so. common one. Yeah. It was lowered to a reckless driving on this date after I did Z. Blah, blah, blah. I got advice on this from an attorney I was working with. 
all they're looking for when asking this is how you answer the question to see if you answer it the same way when you apply for the bar. Mm. It's all about candor. And like Ben said, only give what they actually asked for. Notice how schools ask for different things. Mm. That's a real good tip about character and fitness and the bar exam. I never thought about it that way. The schools don't give a shit. The schools are going to get your tuition. Hmm. But they, they're they asking, it's probably like an ABA thing. Like they're required to ask. Hmm. Because then when you do your character and fitness for the bar, they're going to ask again. And then they're going to compare those two results. That's an easy That's way a, to nab somebody. Real good reason not to lie at all. And also real good reason to just limit your response to nothing more than what they asked for. No editorialization. No narrative as Kara calls it, and just stick to exactly the facts. This date, this was the charge lowered to this after I did the program. Yeah. That's it. Cool. When I was a zero L, I loved get any I loved getting any advice I could get from current law students. If you or your followers have any questions, feel free. Okay. It's an invitation to reach out to Kara. Finally, I can't believe Ben didn't know what NOLA was. Shaking my head. Well, I'm glad you know something I don't care. <laughs> Do you know what it is now? Do you remember? Yeah, well, yeah, I remember. I actually knew it before. I just forgot. <laughs> okay. Well, also, I don't blame you for not knowing what NOLA is. You don't drink. So it's New Orleans is like the number one party alcohol town in the world. So it's like... or whatever in the United States. So if you're uh, not a big drinker, then there's, there's kind of not that much reason to go to new Orleans. I mean, the food's good. The music's good. The weather sucks. And mostly people are there to party. So (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm okay. There's a lot, (laughs) there's a lot of shit to know in this world. And, um, yeah, you got to pick what you want to know. We have Kara's uh, LinkedIn, so um, we'll put that into our show notes. And uh, if you want to reach out to Kara, she would would appreciate it. She would not have provided that if she didn't want people to try to connect to her. So if you're wondering what law is like and want to know what law school is like, um, reach out to Kara and and say hi. uh, I'm sure she'll hook you up as best she can. Yeah, cool. Want to do one more email? Let's do it. Breaking out of a score plateau. Dear Ben and Nathan, hope you and the demon team are doing well. I'm just writing because I've hit a bit of a plateau in my studying and I was wondering what you guys recommend I do between now and the August test. I'm a big fan of the study a bit every day method you advocate. Between the end of April and mid-June, I studied an average of about three hours a day. I realize I'm lucky to be able to do that, even with my job and everything. Now I'm doing more like two or two and a half, as I've been seeing diminishing returns. I'm scoring pretty high on my practice tests, which I've been taking in the demon, as you recommended since my last email. But I don't see myself improving pretty much on... Sorry, I don't see myself improving much on my individual timed sections, if that makes sense. I feel like my drilling is a couple points behind my tests... And I still feel like part of my high test scores is luck. Don't roll your eyes. I say this because I got a 179 on my last one, but I bombed a section that just happened to be the unscored one. So you can't tell me that's not partly lucky. I mean, it's just one data point. So it's not, it's like, yes, it is. There's a lot of randomness there. Is it a bad idea for me to be studying fewer hours per day leading up to the test? Do you think two hours is enough to keep improving? 
Also, what should I be doing? Drilling, sections, blind review, tests to overcome a plateau. My other issue is that I'm running out of fresh questions and I know you say repeat questions aren't the end of the world, but half the time I don't even need to read the question to remember what the correct answer was. And I know I'm not getting anything out of such straight up memory games. Cheers, K. K is exactly the type of psycho that you're going to have to compete against in law school. <laughs> I mean, like that's a lawyer. That's a, that's a lawyer. That's a winner. That's somebody who like they've, they're do they've done a crazy amount of work. That crazy amount of work is clearly paying off. They got a 170 damn nine on their last practice test and they're still not patting themselves on the back. They're still finding every reason why they, Ooh, I don't know. I, <sighs> It's just, you know, they're running out of practice questions and they see that as a problem. That's the type of psycho that you're going to be competing against in law school and as a lawyer. I mean, thank you, Kay, for writing in. And I, when I say psycho, I mean that I think you're going to do very well. Yeah, I don't even know what Kay means by I bombed a section that just happened to be the unscored one. To her, Missed what is bond? Yeah. 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 I mean, that's the this... huge difference. I mean, there's so many people who score 150 who think they know everything. I get the test. I get the test. I just, I, I, get, I totally get it. it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got people like Kay who they get the test because they've done like every damn question that ever existed and they're killing it. And they still, all they see is the holes in their game. And they just like ruthlessly, relentlessly go around patching the holes in their armor. Yeah. I mean, okay, you're in a good position. So I would just focus on the questions that you get wrong. And you're actually one of those candidates who can focus on those esoteric questions that throw you off and try to unpack them. So that you don't get them wrong in the future. Otherwise, I think two hours fine. a day is plenty to keep improving. Yeah. There's not that much more that you even can improve, can improve, but in fact, I, at this point you may have diminishing returns, not because your hours dropped, yeah. but because they're too <laughs> right. high. Obviously I used to be improving two points a week and now it's only one point a week. And it's like, yeah, because you're about to hit the wall of where you can no longer further improve past 180. Yeah. I mean, you need to get one more section, sorry, one more question per week. Right. Yeah. That's kind of universal advice. I mean, focus on one more question just on your next test, get one more, right. And the way you do that is by looking at the ones you miss and trying to figure out how you could have gotten that one right or making sure that you really understand it so that you won't make that mistake next time. Yeah. But I mean, I think, you know, what should care, what should K be doing? Um, drilling. Sure. A little bit sections. Sure. A little bit blind review. Well, yeah, absolutely. Every single question you miss, you have to blind review it. I mean, yeah. you have to spend as much time as necessary. Try it again, see if you can get it right. And then what's the opposite of blind review? Opposite sighted review. I mean, like once you know what the right answer is, yeah. Keep reviewing it. It's not just blind review it, right? It's not just try it again and see if you get it right and then go, okay, I got it right. Great. Next. 
Yeah. Right. That's like a bad way to use blind review. You should also then like look at the answer you picked, make sure you know exactly why that answer is wrong and try to think about how you're going to avoid making that mistake next time. Mm-hmm. Do you care if Kay does full tests? No, not where she's scoring, but I also don't think she needs to do any more than anyone else. Yeah. Do you believe Kay that she really is worse on her drilling than she is on her full tests or whatever that weird small sample? (laughs) I would imagine that her drilling is giving her all level five questions. Right. So, oh, I'm missing more. Well, yeah, because you're doing an extraordinarily hard version of the test. Yeah. Don't make too much of small samples. Don't make too much of one test or one section. Do though, dig really deeply into every single mistake you make. And that's the way to break out of your plateau, which doesn't actually even exist. I mean, yeah, <laughs> plateaus are almost universally just a myth. Um, at least if you're studying with us, you, we're, we're focusing on real understanding. So yeah. you should be just kind of moving in the direction of understanding with every single question you review. And if you're understanding it better then well, your results, your score is not necessarily going to instantly reflect your better understanding, but your understanding is continuing to grow. And so you're going to get paid off on that, on your scores eventually. Yeah. All right. Should we wrap it up there? Yeah. Uh, you can be LSAT famous, uh, get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinking If you have any pearls versus turds for us to look at, or any excuses of the week for us to look at, um, news from the LSAC, uh, anything email help at thinking Um, if you have questions about the LSAT demon, we have a really great team of, uh, customer service folks. You can email help at lsatdemon.com to learn about our plans and ask whatever questions you have. That was episode 307 of the thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you don't pay for law school. Yeah.